Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. I'd like to begin by reading 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and I'll read down through verse 17. But we're going to just focus on verse 13 and 14 and 15 this morning, which is basically all about submission to governing authorities. And we'll kind of walk through what that means and what that looks like this morning. So let's read these together. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So there's about eight instructions right there that he goes through. So first of all, he tells them, uh, as aliens and strangers in this world, abstain from fleshly lusts. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Submit yourself to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Act as free men, honor people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Those are the basic instructions there. But these kind of are outflowing, uh, should be fruits of the Spirit in our lives that we begin to see produced as believers in Jesus Christ. And he's kind of indicates that in verse 11. He's saying, beloved, we are the beloved of God. So he's speaking to Christians in particular. And just, I, just I'd like to remind you before we dive too much deeper into this, these are principles that should be applied by believers, but they are also principles that will be very difficult to apply to your life if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. Because he's addressing the beloved, he's addressing the Christians, people who already have the spirit of God within them, who is empowering us, to actually take action on these kinds of behaviors. So if you're struggling at all in your faith, or if you're wrestling in your salvation, or if you know, in fact, that you're not a believer in all these things, then I would just encourage you that, that for me to tell you to do all of this stuff is not going to produce righteousness in your life. We cannot be obedient enough to be righteous before God. We first must cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation and know the righteousness of Jesus. And then from there, the Lord will begin to lead us to produce the fruits of righteousness, which is obedience. So from there, as believers, beloved, we are strangers and aliens in this world, which means that we're here temporarily. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and here on this earth, we have a temporary stay, which means that we're only to be somewhat entangled with the things of this world. Because... To be mired by mired in the difficulties of this world could cause us to lose sight of our eternal hope 
and could cause us to begin to walk in the flesh that the Lord has saved us from. So he's telling us to keep in mind that we are strangers. And from that standpoint, from that viewpoint, that we have a future hope, a hope of restoration, a hope where we will one day be without sin, where we will one day stand before the Lord God and we we will be given new bodies and we will have new lives and all will be made new. With that in mind... Abstain from fleshly lust. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And here's the next thing. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, this is a difficult, this is a difficult topic. This is a very difficult um, thing to wade through because there's so many nuances to governing authorities. So many uh, circumstances that uh, seem to change how we might respond as people in submission to authorities. But so let's walk through some of these words to begin with and kind of look at the context and then we'll see what Paul or what Peter is trying to say to the church through these verses. So first of all, the word submit simply means to subject or to be underneath or to obey. It simply means to obey. So to obey every human institution and that word human means that it is it is of mankind. So these are institutions that are specifically created. That word institution is a word that means to be created. It's, um, it's unique. It's a special word. In the Greek, it brings with it the idea of creation. We'll kind of see what that means as we walk through this. But it is simply, uh, these are governing systems or, or um, uh, systems of government that are created by man that are set up and established for the purpose of leading people in right or wrong. These are forms of government, and they can take many different shapes. And these can go all the way from what he brings points out as being the king, which would be ideally speaking, or in this case, uh, the way these would these readers would have viewed it, this would have been the highest of authorities. This would have been a reference to Caesar, even though uh, the Greeks... Uh, refused, they did not like the word king. They hated the word king. They would not call him king uh, because they, I think, probably because they viewed Caesar to be something above the kings of men. They viewed Caesar to be a god. Um, and uh, the emperor was considered to be uh, god, and they would have revered him as god, and they would have worshiped him as god. This is what became known as the imperial cult. Uh, the people of the region that would have honored him as a god, not, they didn't just obey him because it was the law to obey him. They obeyed him because they revered him as a god. And so this is kind of a scenario in which this, this kind of a cultish environment where everyone around them is not just being obedient to Caesar, but they are, they are honoring him and worshiping him as God. And now the believers are rejecting him as God because they believe in the one true God and they are worshiping God as the only God. And so now they are no longer revering and honoring Caesar as God. But that took on a couple of interesting um, attitudes for the church because they're beginning to see themselves as citizens of the kingdom of God and not citizens of this world. And certainly... Uh, They do not have to revere and respect Caesar as any form of a god. And so there was 
a type of an attitude that began to develop, especially from the Gentiles, uh, maybe even a sense of lawlessness that might have come from the new believers now with their new sense of freedom from this government. And not only that, the Jews, they were also kind of known for being ungovernable because of their, um, their uh, obstinance towards the, the Roman government and uh, their insistence upon the fact that God was the only God. Now, we read in a couple instances uh, where some of the Jewish leaders uh, veered away from that. I think we've been studying through the Gospel of John in our community groups, and we kind of got towards the end of the Gospel of John. We came to that place where um, uh, Jesus is on trial, and uh, Pilate was speaking to the, the Jewish leaders that were pressing to have Jesus executed, and uh, the Pilate was pushing to have the Jews take care of this matter themselves. And Pilate, the Jews, these Jewish leaders actually stated that there was no God but Caesar. So in some instances, some Jews became influenced by this, this uh, imperial cult mentality that was around them. But by and large, most of the Jews, they had kind of already a rebellious nature. And the people, the Gentiles and the Roman government, they really didn't like the Jews a lot. And there was a lot of friction there. So as a result, there was already a lot of reproach for the Jewish people. And you can imagine the Christian church that's emerging in this environment. You have Jewish people that are converting to Christianity, and you have Gentile people that are converting to Christianity, and they're developing a new view of the government around them. And as a result, some of them were in their new sense of freedom, were choosing to maybe disregard some of the laws that they were that were being imposed upon them, such as taxes and uh, and other things that they were having to follow. So Peter and Paul alike were both advising the church and admonishing the church to remember that it is still important as Christians to submit to your governing authorities, even though we all know that Caesar is not God. That's where he's going with this. So this is what he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. So the governors being the ones that are subservient to the king. So any level of authority were to submit to them. And, they are, and this, these governments are, for, are set up for the punishment of evildoers and praise of those who do right. So Peter and Paul were both kind of encouraging them to remember that... Uh, it is still important to submit to the governing authorities, but they're giving them a new reason why. You're not submitting to your governing authorities because your authority is God. You're submitting to them for a different reason. So they pointed out, first of all, Peter is acknowledging that all these institutions are created. So he's kind of demoting Caesar down to uh, the level of being a mere mortal man like everyone else in the eyes of the church. He's saying all of these people, including the king, are creations of God, but they are all established by God. So here's a couple of things, a couple of roles that you see that were pointed out. One, it was for the purpose of punishing those who are evil, and it was for the purpose of praising those who do right, indicating that God is using the governing authorities to punish evil and praise those and reward those who are doing right. And one passage of scripture that helps us to get a pretty good glimpse at this 
is Romans 13. It's It's kind of one of those passages where it's almost identical to what Peter is saying. Um, that's where you kind of get through, uh, kind of goes back to that debate that people have. Did Peter read what Paul wrote and then write his letter? Or did Paul read what Peter wrote and then write his letter? But it seems like they really were being influenced. Ultimately, we know all of this is written by God and it's inspired by God. So it's very possible that Peter and Paul had no idea what each other wrote and they both wound up saying the same thing to the church. And this is what Paul said in, verse, in Romans 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So Paul brings into this a, a new concept or an additional concept, which is that all the authorities aren't just created by man, but they are led to be in their place by the authority of God. So they are under the authority of God and under the sovereignty of God, meaning God is in control. And that, that's where it gets hard for us because we see a lot of abuse of power. We see a lot of authorities that do not honor God, do not revere God, do not respect God, and do not have any form of a rule that reflects God. And that's, it's hard for us to see that through the lens that these are in position by God's sovereignty. So let, but let's keep reading. So he says this. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. So here he begins, Paul begins to touch on that concept where Peter says that the authorities are there for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do what's right. And so here, Paul is pointing out that that God is the one that's actually in authority. And when you resist the authorities, you're resisting God. But here's, some, here's he points out one of the main reasons why we like to resist authorities. We like to resist authorities in a lot of cases because we're doing things that are actually wrong that we shouldn't be doing. And so he points out here, he says, Therefore, whoever resists the authority has opposed the ordinance of God. They have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves, for rulers are not a cause for of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. Meaning that if you're afraid of governing authorities, it might be because you're doing something wrong. If you're actually not doing anything wrong, then in general you're not going to have anything to be afraid of. So remember, I think these are also, this is kind of a general grace that God gives to the world. These are generalities. Obviously, these are not absolutes in the sense that it's always going to work this way. God establishes government for law and for rule, and this is a general grace for humankind, meaning that it is a blessing for us that in for people who are good have protection from people who are evil. And that protection comes from a form of authority and from government. It is a general grace of God and a blessing for us that evil people are not allowed to continue doing whatever they want. 
So God provides a form of structure for mankind and order to society as an act of mercy for us because sin exists in this world and it would go unchecked. Depravity would go unchecked were it not for God intervening on our behalf and restraining the sins of mankind. And so he provides a mercy and a grace for people. And so in general, you have this concept where God says that if you are good and you do what is right, you will not have to fear the governing authorities. They're there for the purpose of rewarding you and protecting you. If in general you do what is evil, you should fear the government and, uh, and authorities because they don't bear the sword for nothing, meaning that they have been given the authority to carry the sword of justice. They've been given the, the authority by God to exercise justice on behalf of mankind. So when evil happens, authorities are established to punish evil. So in with this in mind that God is the one who's actually establishing the authorities, and when you resist an authority, you're resisting God, then when, a, when an authority exercises justice in the case of evil it's god exercising justice in the case of evil it's god exercising mercy on behalf of those who are good and justice on behalf of those who are evil are we kind of getting a little bit of a picture there of how this where this is going so then he says this it does not bear the sword for nothing for it is a minister of god so twice there he calls it a minister of god so the authorities that are established are ministers. They are administrators of a certain power of God that has been delegated to mankind. So these are, it is still God's power, but he is administrating that power through people. And then he says this, God is an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So aren't you a little bit disappointed that he had to bring taxes into this? You know, wouldn't it have been great for God to give us the, the right and the, the biblical um, freedom to resist all forms of taxation. Um, I, think, uh, I think there are certainly abuses of that. And in our culture, especially in the United States, we have the privilege of speaking to that. In fact, we're kind of asked to do that when we vote. That's part of, a, part of our freedoms, part of our responsibility. But aside from, from that, something that's really interesting to note about these verses before we move on is that a lot of times we don't really bring up these verses in Christian life until there's some form of an abuse of power. And then we feel the need to resist that. And so then we bring up these verses. We must submit. We must submit. We must submit. And a lot of times uh, I believe these verses are taken out of context. And I believe these verses are used in such a way to allow people to continue being abused and to continue living in subjection to, um, to very dangerous and hurtful situations. Because I believe there are also circumstances where there are exceptions to this rule. And there are examples of that in Scripture. And I'd like to look at a few of those 
today. But before we do, I just want to point out a couple more of these statements from Peter as we get there. Uh, because uh, just to note that I think if we look at the context, the Christians who are be forming a church in a culture that doesn't like Christianity, and they are feeling a new sense of freedom as Christians, they are simply being encouraged by Peter and by Paul to continue to be obedient to the law. Continue to be obedient to the law. This is part of your excellent behavior. Remember he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, and part of that is to continue being obedient to the law around you, even though we all know that Caesar's not God. Caesar's not God, but yet it's still good for us to be obedient to the law. Let's look at a couple of these verses, these words in 1 Peter 13 through, let's look at actually verse 15. He says, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Such is the will of God, which simply means that this is God's way. God is the king. He rules through law and order. And one reason to submit is because God is using this to punish evil and reward good on earth. So although we are free, God uses submission for our good. So this is God's way. It's God's will. It is for some reason, this is how God, this is God, this is what God chose to do with mankind uh, in, in the in light of the fact that we are a broken humanity. We are people that live in sin and need to, need to be governed. Now, I would also like to connect this back to Genesis chapter 1. I believe that uh, forms of authority were established prior to the fall. So authority is not just a consequence of sin. Authority helps with the restraining of sin, but it's not just a consequence of sin. Authority was established in the Garden of Eden when all was good. Authority was established between God and Adam and Eve. Authority was established between Adam and Eve. Authority was established between Adam and Eve and all the animals and, and the parts of creation. All of that was then corrupted and broken with sin. And then we begin to see, as with all things that are created good, all things that God made that were good and would have been really great, we have found a way to corrupt all of it. And that's why when we see the human institution of authority in our lives, we see so much corruption because the institutions of man are made up of human beings and human beings are sinful. That's why it's, um, it's frustrating, it's difficult sometimes. I think I understand why some people... You know, when, when an authority or a system of authority becomes broken or has a pattern of brokenness to it, a pattern of abuse, there's a desire to simply scrub the whole thing and start over again. When I get that, and I think certainly there are sometimes authorities that need to be removed from their positions. But the fact is, whenever we start over again, we're going to reestablish a new authority that's made from human beings, and human beings are going to then corrupt it again. The system is always going to, to some extent, have corruption and brokenness to it. But the blessing is, as Christians, we bring into all of that redemption. We bring into that Christ. We bring into that the excellencies of God. 
we have the ability within us because of the Spirit of God within us. If the Lord puts us in positions of authority and power to exercise that authority with righteousness and with goodness, reflecting the excellencies of God, making a difference in all of those things. We have within us the ability to do that. But there's always going to be some difficulty in it, but it's good to remember that it's still the will of God. This is what God wills. Let's look at these. One other phrase that I skipped over before we finish, verse 15. He says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This is for the Lord's sake, which simply means that it is so as not to bring dishonor to the Lord's name. Remember in verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 9, we are to proclaim the excellencies of God, and in verse 12, we are to perform the excellencies of God, keeping our behavior excellent in such a way that it reflects the excellencies of God. So God's way of rewarding good and evil and punishing evil displays his excellent quality of justice. God exercises justice in this world. It is an excellent quality. And as we submit to the Lord, it is the excellent thing to do. So let's look at some of the exceptions that I was talking about. First of all, I think a lot of times our mind goes immediately to Daniel, the book of Daniel. There are several examples in the book of Daniel. First of all, right at the beginning of the book of Daniel, Daniel and some of the young men that were taken into captivity. Now, these are slaves under an, an, an oppressive authority. They were being required to eat certain kinds of food that they were not allowed to eat by God's law. But they politely requested permission to disobey that command. And when they requested permission, they were then given the right to, uh, for a season of time to do it their way. And then after doing it their way, it was proven that their way was better. Another example of that, in case, because there are certain circumstances in which we might, have, we might be able to appeal to an authority and the, the authority might have compassion on us and might allow us an exception to not do what they ask us to do if we're being asked to do something that is immoral or contrary to God's law. There's also other examples where it's not quite that easy. It wasn't that easy. Just shortly after that, you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, um, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, the Hebrew names. They were uh, followers of God, uh, but they were being required to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and worship him as God, much like these believers in the New Testament in the first century were being required to revere Caesar as a God, and they refused to do so. The consequences, there were earthly consequences to their disobedience, so let's not forget that. There are times where the Lord might allow us permission or give us the provision to disobey our governing authorities, especially in the instance when they are requiring us to be disobedient to God. But we need to understand there's probably going to be an earthly consequence to that. In this case, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. And in, for them, the Lord protected them and provided for them and saved them. That wasn't the case for all of the believers who resisted governing authorities. We know that most of uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ were ex executed because of, their, um, because of their insistence on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another example of that from Daniel would be Daniel himself when he was commanded not to pray. 
And uh, you know that uh, as a result of his command not to pray to God, he was commanded not to pray to God of the Hebrews, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was commanded to only pray to um, King, the king. And uh, so as a result, he chose to pray to God anyway because he knew it was the right thing to do and he continued doing right. And you know the results for Daniel. He was thrown into the lion's den. But again, in Daniel's case, he was spared and rescued by God. But as a result of his obedience, as a result of his obedience and his goodness and faithfulness, the foolish men who attempted to set Daniel up and have him executed for being because they knew he was going to be disobedient, they were the ones that were thrown into the lion's den and they were the ones that were devoured by the lions. So in this case, by doing right, by Daniel doing right, the ignorance of foolish men were silenced. That's where Peter gets to in verse 15, where he says, For such is the will of God that by doing right you might silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, we know that when we do right as believers, there's going to be reproach. There's going to be, uh, there's going to be slander. And Peter's already kind of touched on this slander. And the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may even... They may accuse us of doing evil, to speak evil of us while we are, in fact, doing good. But all the while, there's a couple things at play. And this is where uh, I began to read a few moments ago in verse 12. Remember what happened to some of those people who slander us, that while they are speaking evil about us for the good things that we're doing, they're still noticing the good things that we're doing. And there's a chance that God is using that to save their soul and to lead them to Christ. Because as a result of observing our good deeds, some of them will wind up glorifying God with us on the day of visitation, on the day of judgment. Some of those people by the end will be among us. They will have joined us. But some of them won't. But by our good behavior and by our good deeds and by being obedient, living an excellent, keeping our behavior excellent amongst a Gentile world, the Lord is saying, I might use your good behavior to save some, but I also might use your good behavior to bring about a just end to others. In other words, the governing authorities God is using for his purposes, those who are governed, God is using for his purposes, those who are being obedient will be used by God for his purposes. The Lord is at work in us. I think there's a, there's a certain amount of peace that we can hold on to in that especially when we look around at the world and it seems to be in chaos and, and the governing authorities seem to not really know what to do and they seem to not really know what's good and what's evil and what's bad. We have some that are good in the midst of it all, but it seems like their voice is not being heard. It can be discouraging. It's good to remember, though, that this is not all spinning out of control. This is not all out of God's hands. It's all in the hands of a sovereign God. Another example um, is Esther. She comes to mind. I think about Esther. Uh, you know the story of Esther. Basically, she was uh, taken uh, as a young girl and forced to be the wife of the king against her will. Uh, but she's, she had no choice but to submit to that or die. Uh, so she submitted to that and she became submissive to the king. 
but in that role, uh, in that position, there was another man that was uh, in that story named Haman who hated the Jews. Now, she was a Jew, but apparently they didn't know that she was a Jew. And uh, Haman hated the Jews, and he wanted the Jews to all be exterminated, executed. It would have been a mass genocide. genocide. So he manipulated the king and arranged uh, a way for an edict to be passed by the king such that would have ensured that all of the Jews be exterminated. Well, Esther came to know about this, and uh, she, even though she was in submission to the king, she approached the king at risk of her own life for the sake of bringing salvation to her family. So she um, continued to submit to her authorities, but she also risked her life in order to do what was right. She took a chance at disobeying a rule. She was not allowed to approach the king without being requested to, by the king to approach him. So she broke a rule one of the king's rules, in order to approach the king. So in that instance, she was being disobedient to the king, but it was for the purpose of doing what was right. She was being obedient to her father in heaven. And as a result of that, you know the story that all was found out, and the king had compassion on the Jews and had compassion on Esther, and he rescued the Jews. And as a result, Haman found his just reward for his evil behavior. The king punished Haman instead. So this was another, I think, a really good example of that. Charles Spurgeon, this is what he said specifically about um, ignorance of foolish men and um, our response to that. This is what he says. Ignorance, you see, is a noisy thing. An empty drum makes a loud noise when it is beaten. And an empty men, like empty vessels, often make the most sound. How then are we to silence this noisy ignorance by argument? No, by doing good. Uh, Just a few things that I'd like to invite you to pray through as we kind of walk through this and finish. Um, First of all, I think the Lord's encouraging all of us to remember that it's important to all obey our authorities, knowing that this is God's way of punishing evil and rewarding good. It's God's will. It's part of God's work on this earth. Also, practice your excellent behavior for the Lord and for his name. It's for the Lord's sake and for the glory of the Lord's sake, not just so that we can get good from this life. We all know that in general, there's the retribution principle of Proverbs. If we do good, we should receive good things. If we do evil, there's probably going to be bad things that will come upon us. It's in general, it's practical. But above and beyond that, we are to live excellent lives because the Lord has changed us and commissioned us to be his light and his example on this earth, to proclaim the excellencies of God and to do the excellent things. Also, don't blindly obey earthly authorities. I think we have examples in scripture that show us that it's important to remember that, yes, we're supposed to be obedient to our authorities, but we don't have to blindly obey our authorities. Don't blindly obey your earthly authorities. If resistance is necessary, and I think without going into too many details this morning on when it's appropriate to resist and when not to resist, because I'm not sure I'm qualified today to be able to lay that out for you, I would probably walk into a lot of errors or more than I already have. Um, I would just, I think, I, I struggle with it. 
especially with things that are going on in our culture, because there are things that I'm like, we need to speak to this and we need to resist these infringements on our freedoms. And then there are other times where I'm, I feel as though we need to not worry so much about it and allow the Lord to do his work and trust the Lord to be obedient to what he's called us to do. So there's always this tension that I feel between how much to, to interact with the governing authorities making decisions for us in this world. But it is, I think, good to remember that if it's necessary for us to resist, it's pretty clear here that we need to keep our behavior excellent in that process. And I think that's where a lot of people maybe go wrong. In our resistance or in our civil disobedience, we seem to shirk off godliness in that process, especially in speech and on social media platforms, etc. It's where that, that instruction that we've been given to proclaim the excellencies of God seems to be tabled for the moment so that we can proclaim the horrible things of our politics. And sometimes we put aside godliness, and I think that's where the Lord is telling us, listen, we need to be godly and excellent in this world. There's probably going to be times when we must resist, but we can't separate the two. We need to maintain excellence. Also, remember that God may use us to, bring a to, bring, to lead some to salvation and others to judgment, and we can't know who those people are. The Lord may use us. We don't know what God is doing in the lives of all around us, but we do know that our behavior God is using. He is using it for his glory and for his good and for his will. And I think that's good to remember. So remember that God is using, especially if you must suffer slander for being obedient to Christ. Remember that God has a purpose for those things. Some things to pray through this morning as we... Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.